This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So today we're doing, again, we're, we're talking about one more place at the table and, and how do we create that and what is it, how does it tie back to these older forms of Christianity? I was listening to this great interview and it was actually Whoopi Goldberg and she's a big fan of the current Pope. And it, so the author asked her, well, like, why are you a big fan? And he said, she said, because he sticks to the original program. I like that. I like that. And then he said, we're all here to be artisans of the common good. Artisans of the common good. One more place as a commitment. One more place at the table. Now, it's important to say with this, I was reading a recent study that that it was a surprising study where they looked at people with a high degree of empathy and how much they served. And what they discovered was that people with a high degree of empathy don't necessarily serve more. Kind of interesting. And the point of the article is this, is we have to see one more place at the table. We have to understand that we have to allow that to move our hearts. And then we have to act. Then we have to do things that actually create bigger tables, that actually welcome others into that space, into a new kind of ways, into new kind of ways that churches can function. Because I think there's a human condition, a human uh, propensity for creating, go to the next slide, please, for creating these, for creating moral circles. And what moral circles mean is that, is that I kind of have my little tribe, my little circle. And the challenge becomes of these moral circles is we set it up and inside of the circle is all virtue. Which means outside of the circle, you can just shout out different answers, outside of the circle is all what? Bad. It's all bad. Inside the circle, outside the circle. And what we do is we tend to curate our lives within that circle. So I have my circle, my virtuous circle. Everything within it we try to curate ourselves to. And we tend not to look across to other circles in the world. Asking, boy, I wonder what they have to offer as well. And one of the challenges with this, folks, one of the challenges with this is that then we can sort of sink into something that's very negatively dominant, where what's negative dominates. You guys all know this saying. Remember, we hear jokes about it on occasion. You know, waiter, there is a what in my soup? There is a a fly in my soup. Would any of you eat soup with a fly in it? You know, no, unless you're on a camping trip with the boys in the five-second rule. But, you know, we have that negative dominant, that idea that anything negative, isn't it interesting? Anything negative totally adulterates the purity in the circle. Isn't that interesting? Christ flips that completely. Goes to something very different. Where actually he has the circle, but he's constantly stepping outside of it to other people to make sure that we don't see the world from that kind of negativity dominant perspective. Constantly stepping outside of the circles. It goes way back to when he was born. Way back to that story. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge integrity part of the Christian story, the Christian narrative. 
Now, some of you may look at that narrative, you go, well, I'm not so sure it's historically true. People have different perspectives on that. That, as a pastor, actually doesn't worry me. It's can you see the poetic point of this? What they were really driving at. What Christ was trying to teach, what God was trying to inspire in people. By having a story that from its very beginning, having, having Christ step out of his own moral circle. Stepping out of what we would consider, quote unquote, virtuous. This next slide, really important. Really important. And I think it's something that this congregation embodies. It's, it's, it's something I see a lot of beautiful, uh, you know, Christian churches and Jewish synagogues and, and temples and all kinds of groups can embrace this. And you can see it embraced all the time. This idea, we have a choice between, say those first two words there. We have a choice between versus purity codes versus table fellowship. Now, purity codes, I'm going to hop back and forth here for a minute. A purity code view means, again, we have our circles up here. I got my circle right here. I got my circle, and, and, and I've got to create codes. And the codes set up the edges of the circle, the boundaries. Those purity codes, folks, it's, it's why religion sometimes can get so consumed about rules, about who's in, who's out, who said the wrong words, who didn't. It's not that it makes the words unimportant. It doesn't. The words are incredibly important. The concepts are incredibly important. Having edges to things, incredibly important. As I say all the time, a, a, a river without streams is a puddle. So we need to have banks on the river, but the banks on the river are not about a purity code. The banks on the river are not about a purity code. Take a guess what they're about. Table fellowship. It's about stepping into a different place, a place where we're centered around a table. I mean, that is really one of the predominant metaphors of the Christian message. Table fellowship. Not the frozen chosen. Not who's in, not who's out. Not who gets heaven, not who doesn't. But table fellowship. For those of you who are familiar, not everyone in here is, which is totally fine. It's interesting, by the last one of these series, we're going to do a communion service, what's called Holy Supper. At that Holy Supper, there was a guy who denied Christ, a guy who firmly rejected Christ, and a guy who betrayed Christ. And they were all welcome at that table. Can you see the ark from the manger to that? An ark was constantly pulling us outside of our own moral circles. An ark that is constantly pulling us outside of our own mental purity codes. And pulling us towards something, pouring, pulling us towards fellowship. It was interesting doing, doing this series, like, like doing the legwork of reading and researching. And the, the Bible is an amazing thing, an amazing document. Confusing in a lot of places, granted. And really an amazing document. 
Because you read it and you read it and read it, and every time I go through it, it's, it's, it's like a, you know, Shrek talking about an onion with one more layer, if you remember that famous scene. And, and it, it just kind of gives way to all these layers of meaning, one of which dealing directly with table fellowship. Now, Christ, and I say this a lot, I'm going to say it again, Christ actually issues zero commands to worship me. His commands are always, somebody in the know shouted out, are always to, to serve, to follow me. Follow me in service, going together, hand in hand. Always to serve and to do it by following his model. Moving away from worried about, can we earn God's love? And more into, how do I reflect God's love? That's big. Not how do I earn it? But how do I reflect it? How do I become a vessel for it? Manuel Swedenborg said, said, influx is according to the state of the receiving vessel. And it's not like a vessel like a, like a bull. It's a vessel like a blood vessel. How do I let that go through? Bad cholesterol will not be my friend. That's what I need to get rid of. So those pieces, folks, where he's, where he's calling the disciples, and we see this again and again, this pattern. And it was fascinating reading it and realizing, oh, there's a whole bunch of layers in here. Trivial pursuit question for, for you here. How many times did Christ invite people over to dinner at his house? Zero. Just keep that in mind. Kind of interesting. I'll come back to that in a minute. Take a look at this. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, the tax collector was not your kindly, friendly, uh, this is where you get your tax documents. The tax collector was sort of a stooge for the Roman Empire. And they literally could completely impoverish you, and they did. And it worked on sort of a graft system. If you've watched The Sopranos, think of that. It was sort of like a big shakedown, except for they had the whole Roman Empire behind them. And as long as the Roman Empire got theirs, you could get yours as well. And you can imagine how that created a whole class of people who were on the losing end, were literally on the short end of the stick of much of that. So, yes or no, do you think tax collectors were very uh, well-liked people? Yes or no? No. No. Could we all say no with a mean no? No. I mean, no. Like, no. You know, tax collectors were, they were as far outside this circle of virtue, this moral circle as you could become. But again, typical Christ, we go back to that slide. Typical Christ, we go back to the next one. Typical Christ goes up to him at the booth and he says, again, big surprise. Say those two words, folks. He says, follow me. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. What do you think Christ asked him next? Can I come over to your house for dinner? You got to love it. Really, that's what it says. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. He's saying it all the time. He realized, like, never once does he invite people over. He's always going like, look, I got a great idea. This is really going to open up your heart. Why don't you follow me? We're really learning something together. Oh, tell the wife I'll be over at six. (laughs) A little wine, a little bread. It would be a great time. Maybe some foot washing. I mean, it's just, it's really amazing. It's really amazing when you start 
to see that table fellowship. You notice how he doesn't even address the boundaries. He acts outside of the boundaries. He steps outside of the boundaries, and what happens to the boundaries is the boundaries disappear. One more place at the table. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. So when we come back, after an announcement and a middle song, I'm going to talk some more about what exactly does that really look like? Like, how does that practice work? And can we see that practice out there in the world? And the answer is, yes, we can. And that can bring us all great joy and great inspiration. And, and you know, even that idea of a Samaritan, guess what? Whether the Samaritan's on the inside of the circle or the outside, take a guess. Outside of the circle outside of the circle. You got to love that stuff. And, and there's, a, there's a, an integrity to it. Like that is the constant narrative through, this, through these stories of Christ's life and they're really the beginning of Christianity. Now, how does the story in Matthew continue? Well, it goes on when the Pharisees who were the clergy at that time saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now just hold it there for a second. I'm going to step over here. In other words, they're sitting over here in their purity code thing. They're sitting here in a purity code. And those two words, what makes no sense to them? That T word in the table fellowship. They're sitting over here within their purity code. They're saying that and they're looking over. That, that just doesn't make any sense. How can you be eating with that person? How can you be doing that? And be honest with yourself. I need to be honest with myself. Are there people in our lives who we would look at maybe a a family member or an estranged friend or an ex-boss or an ex-this or an ex-that that we would look at and if someone we knew reached out to them, we would go, how could you have dinner with that person? All guilty. (laughs) You know, we do that all the time. This is part of us, folks. When you do that, You're living within a purity code, a moral circle, where you're curating all the little parts of it without understanding, which we all forget. Again, it's about progress, not perfection. We all forget that really we're to be stepping back over into this place of table fellowship. Again and again and again. So it goes on to say, On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. That's beautiful. Go and learn what this means. And have you say the M word there. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Mercy. Mercy there, folks. By the way, I've said this before, but again, I've got a nice full audience here today. Not all of you have heard this. The word mercy, the root of that goes back to the Hebrew that means womb-like mother love. Just sit with that for a second. Womb-like mother love. Not sacrifice. And here he's not talking about like sacrificing for a greater good. He's talking about the idea that purity codes, that you made certain sacrifices to God, you sacrificed certain animals, and that that somehow made you pure. Very much a transactional view of what sacredness was. I do this and then all of a sudden I'm sacred. Very different view from the love we know that is really, really what God is pulling us towards. Now, what happens as Christ goes through this, 
He has a different thing that starts to come up around moral circles. Take a look around at this next slide. A new idea around what new moral circles look like. Well, first off, the form. It's not shaped as we had over here by static purity boundaries of religious codes, but in the dynamic, centered shape of table fellowship. It was, it was fascinating, like right before church, watching out there in the kids' life, people out there, one of the volunteers just came back from overseas and they bring a little gift for, for Maggie and Michelle who do such a wonderful job out there leading our kids' life program. And, and there's, a, there's a little child there. And it's like, there's that table fellowship. There it is. Just a little picture of it. That's the form. Now the call here, the call is to mercy in which no conversation about sin or purity can begin until human dignity is secured. Is secured. Like we start from the idea that we're all human. We're all human. Does that mean you're blessed? Yes or no? Does that mean you have flaws? Yes or no? Yes. But we secure that basic humanity. This is a fellow person. This table fellowship, folks, this, this idea goes, goes so far. It's, it's just eased its way right into our language. The idea of table fellowship, breaking bread together, means that we learn to have companionship. Companion. Calm with, pan, bread, who we break bread with. Those are our companions. Let it be the whole world. And accountability, not leaving people unaccountable, but valuing connection as primary. Where relationship always takes precedence over rightness. Relationship, more important than rightness, always. See, that, that, that staying in relationship, folks, think back to the person who you most did not want to disappoint in your life. It's probably because you loved them so much and you knew that they loved you. Very different from the person who could shame you the most in your life. When I say that, the person who could shame you, probably not getting a warm and fuzzy right now, right? Probably not. I mean, I can remember a, a dear grandmother. Both my grandmothers were, were amazing women. And the last thing I wanted to do was to disappoint them at all. I told this story a couple of years ago, but it's, it comes to mind again. You know, I remember my, my grandma Blair, you know, been homeless during the Depression, all kinds of stuff. And, and I had told a lie. I don't remember what over, but, but Grandma Blair came to my defense to my parents and she said, Charlie would never tell a lie. I have not lied since. You see, because that was that, that was that, see, that's, that's that secured in table fellowship. It's secured in love. That's secured in humanity. It's not secured by a purity code over here. It was secured by a deep table fellowship. And then I love the words that Christ uses to these Pharisees. And I think the words that should resonate with all of us. Go and learn. Can we say that really loud together? Go and learn. Go and learn what this means. What this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I love that line. 
I love it. It's not about like, you got to Google this or look it up on Wikipedia or study more. He's saying, go and learn. Go out there into the world. Cross that purity boundary. I mean, he's coaching them, folks. He's saying, cross that purity boundary because you have so much to learn there. Can I tell you something that's a little mind-blowing to me? They were prisoners too. They were prisoners too. A purity code doesn't just keep others out. It locks us in. Can I get a very quiet amen on that one? Amen. Amen means it is true. That idea, folks, that they were struggling as well, that, that there was also this, that they were prisoners within their own purity codes. And here's a God, a, a God in the flesh who loves them, who wants them to grow and is constantly saying, look, go and learn. And, and, and I picture it here, like them over in that purity circle. And it's not Christ doing it with like big, angry, with lightning bolts and his trident in the other hand. It's him pointing to this table. Again, this is happening as he's eating and going like, look, go and learn. Go and learn what the opportunity is here. Go and learn what the gift is. Go and learn what can happen as you step out of your purity codes and step into and welcome others into that very deep table fellowship. New Church talks about this a great deal. Clearly focusing on that common humanity and that common good that we're all to share. From the book Secrets of Heaven, divine truth is the actual pattern for God's entire kingdom. He does so with divine benevolence. Think of kindness there. Divine benevolence or kindness is the vital essence itself of the pattern. And every bit of it is mercy. That idea that that. That kindness is the pattern of life. Like, that's, that's pretty big. I, I don't think in this day and age, most people would say, well, I want you to describe church in one word. Most of them wouldn't say kindness. <laughs> we don't live in an area like that. We tend not to see religion that way, but that's what it was supposed to be. Goes on to say, this is, this is pretty amazing to me, actually. If divine truth, think purity codes, were all there was, not a soul could be saved. And think of the word freed if you don't like the word saved. Since eternal truth damns everyone to hell. That idea that if we're just living within a construct of loss, none of us are going to do that well. <laughs> we just aren't. And so when we find ourselves pulled to that idea, well, we just need to be tighter on the rules. And there, there is time for that, folks. Like, obviously, if something's way out of control, you need to tighten up. And we also need to be cautious about overplaying that, especially in church circles, especially in church circles. Because we can find, if I read this correctly, we can find the divine truth that can condemn other people easily. But can we do this? Can we find the mercy that saves? Saves them. 
saves us. Divine benevolence, which is merciful, lifts, please say the E word there, lifts everyone, everyone from hell to heaven. What a beautiful idea that is. As we go to the circle and then we watch that circle disappear. And the amazing part of it is that all of us have that embedded within. New church calls that the inmost, the part of us that is always in heaven. Always this sort of this homing signal to bring us home. And we get to witness it time and time and time again. I get to see it all the time. So do you. I want to show you a video. Very powerful video. And I want you to notice how the circle expands. You have this circle of a college football game. You have a circle of well, of sick kids. I want you to watch how in Iowa... One more place at the table creates a table fellowship that continues to grow and grow and grow. Take a look. They came to the 12th floor for a gesture or a motion or a sign, but they received something more, a moment. It's almost like a wave of hope, like you're not in this on your own. It's a salute to those kids and to their their parents and the family members. It just kind of brings it all home, what is important. It started September 2nd. It's time to start a new tradition here at Kinney. where Iowa fans at the end of the first quarter turn away from the field at Kinnick Stadium and wave to those watching from across the street. Patients looking down from the Stead Family Children's Hospital. One of the faces they might see in those windows was Daxon Fippen, 17 years old, fighting to recover from cranial surgery. Even during the whole surgery, I was super calm. I thought, he's going to go in, he's going to come out. And then he came out and he couldn't dress, he couldn't get out of bed, he couldn't use his hands, and I had a lot of fear. A few days later, with Daxon now conscious but his recovery slow, he found motivation in thinking of the view from those windows. He was super discouraged that day. And then he looked out the window and he said, at least Saturday's coming. <laughs> and then he just snapped right out of it. Being able to have that game to look forward to all week, that definitely helped with being able to make the days go by a little bit faster and easier, I guess. Do you see the letter I for Iowa? I-O-W-A. In another window, Fans might have seen four-year-old Sam Davidson and his mother, Courtney. What they couldn't see was Sam's battle against a brain tumor and his cycles of chemotherapy. I don't think he understands the word cancer, and so we haven't really used that a whole lot. The chemotherapy is four, four or five days 
and then we receive his stem cells and then we recover waiting for his blood counts to come up and that's four cycles of that all right here we go oh, great job. but on a fall saturday it isn't about radiation or ivs it's about celebration and anticipation for all that he's endured and gone through sam wanted to find a spot right up front it was pretty cool sam might not know it but he means more to iowa's head coach than he could ever imagine this is a tough subject for me nobody plans on a visit to the kids hospital it's just it's it's not something you schedule or want to go through the ferrens family has been through it in 2014 kirk and mary ferrens lost their granddaughter savvy who was born prematurely at iowa children's at just over 21 weeks we knew it it was too early you try to stop labor but they were unable to savvy was born and um, she survived for two days and to see my son and daughter-in-law in such pain and um, it couldn't do anything couldn't do anything for it that was probably the lowest moment this past summer kirk and mary made a million dollar donation to the hospital to create a program in neonatal research after talking with savvy's mother nikki the family named the program in the baby's honor the next couple of questions kirk are hard yep. because they revolve around the origin of the donation It's been a couple of years, and, um, you know, there'll always be an empty spot where Savvy was supposed to be. I mean, she's very much a part of our family, a part of our life. And I think the best thing was when I talked to Nikki. She goes, our biggest fear is that Savvy's memory will dim, and now it won't. So... When 70,000 turn away from the field and toward the windows, when they raise their arms and move their hands, it's a moment, and it means more than we know. You see it and and the flood of people looking back at you, it was more emotional than anything, realizing that they were thinking about us. To me, it's just such a nice way for 70,000 people to recognize some really special people. The real heroes are up there. It's more than just a wave. It's a lot more. It's life-changing for all of the patients here. Isn't that powerful? Tebow Fellowship. Always one more place at the table. This is the way Apostle Paul said he experienced it. Even though my illness was my trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an 
angel. Mm. As if I were an angel. That's why this is such a significant commitment to one more place at the table. (laughs) So Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And Lord, thank you for the beauty of table fellowship, for understanding that call to go forth. And Lord, allowing our hearts to be stirred both by that invitation, that invitation you have for us to join the table. And this invitation, who else can we invite? Who else can we create space for? Who else can we step out of our circle for, Lord, to welcome into fellowship, into connection, into service, into love, into mercy, into your wonderful, amazing path? Thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. Bless our ways. Be with us in your mercy. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.